Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 24 of the Corona Diaries and I've already cocked up once because H is making me laugh as he does the whole finger on lips thing to stop himself talking and disturbing me and obviously deserves me at the same time. Morning H, how are you? Good morning. I, I, good morning. I was doing the Eric Morecambe strangulation routine <laughs> as well. Yeah, it's a good job he didn't do the thing where you th- you throw something up and catch it in the paper bag. Uh, that that would have really <laughs> taken me. Was that was that Morecambe or was that Tommy Cooper? That was Eric Morecambe. That yeah. was Eric Morecambe. Right, okay. Anyway, welcome to twenty four, folks. Uh, I'm going to start as normal with a couple of um, a couple of bits of feedback and bits of news. Um, firstly, Pete Witcher. <laughs> he just just done the thing with the bag. <laughs> Oh, so we need to record this at times. Um, Pete Witcher has simply said, who the bloody hell is that T-shirt? Take my money now. (laughs) So, uh, and there's been a few other people that have said similar things, so I think that's a go. I think we might have to do the T-shirt with who the bloody hell is that. Yes, on the back, and I can't possibly make you breakfast, darling, (laughs) on on the front. (laughs) I've heard that a few times with listening to these things before they go out and it makes me laugh every time that really does. So, so thanks Pete. We'll probably go with that. And thanks for the feedback on that, which is great. Um, Matthew Simpson from Barnsley. So from my neck of the woods, and I shall resist the temptation to do anything stereotypical. Um, his good lady, uh, Kira, we pronounced as Kiara on the croon cast. Now, in of itself, that's not a surprise. Plain wrong, though, isn't it? It is, but the only reason I'm mentioning it is because um, it was her 50th on the 14th of September and it's their fourth wedding anniversary on the 24th. Blimey. So, that, so we've it, missed it, both of them, then, because it's the uh, yeah, we, have, we have, but we're within general ballpark. I mean, for us, the... this is still quite good. While they're in the rosy glow... The rosy yes. afterglow of all of that. Of all of that. We'll dive in. We'll, we'll, so we'll apologise for... Um, I don't know why I'm apologising. I don't know how you get it wrong. But, um, I'll we'll apologise. I'm, yeah, you... I'm not a man who's who's below apologising when, no, I, when no. I'm out of order, which no. is daily, to be <laughs> honest. Um, Kira, what was I thinking? I was probably thinking about playing the piano, which I usually... Where you have to... Uh, and at the same time, reading my spreadsheet. So that's walking and chewing gum, uh, and men famously can't do that. So uh, that was the trouble. Um, and also, these these names are an absolute blinking man trap, you know, from start to finish. You know, because they're either they're either strangely um, Gaelic or whatever, or Irish or like. 
Kira Kiara, or they're they're Polish or something, and have lots of Zs and Xs in them, mm. um, or they're or, or they're perfectly straightforward English names, and I don't I don't pr- pronounce them properly. Either. <laughs> I can never do Neve because hasn't Neve got M's in it or something? Neve, oh, is Neve with an M? Oh, it's something weird. I can't do that. That's one is I can't that, do. Uh, yeah. Um, is it A E? The Irish one is it's sort of an A E, isn't it? Oh, is it? M A E. There was a there was an article. Well, I called her Meve 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 Benchy. She was called. Yes. And, uh, she was an A E. Was she perhaps Neve then? I thought she was Maeve. May. Well, there you go. Thank God she's not purple. I'd have to yes. try and sing it. Yeah. Well, Oof. to be fair, if she was, we'd have to be pleasant about her books as well. And I seem to recall they didn't wouldn't have floated my boat. I think my mum used to read them. Yeah. And I, that, I but my mum was mom quite, does. you know, that, 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 I don't mean that as a put now, because my mum was quite sharp. Um, but yes, so I've yeah, had to it, say it, sorry to Grey, Grey Eberle this morning as well. He sent me a, not rude, but quite, quite short and to the point. Email this morning saying efficient. I've had a, I'd, had a, I'd had a pop at Stockport, and now I was having a pop at Hair Metal. And right. he said, "I'm trying not to take it personally." So I thought, "Oh, oh, he's obviously." I think a to bit be fair, a, I had a know. pop at Stockport. I don't think you did. Ah, that's all right then. Well, I, I said I... sorry anyway. Started apologising for your behaviour now. It's marvellous, isn't it? But. As somebody who stood on the terraces at Stockport Football Club quite a few mm. times, and there's no bloody roof, no. and I've got piss wet through every time it's happened. I hope that's, you're listening, that's probably, You know, that's probably just influenced my Stockport uh, view. Yeah, I, I hope you're listening. You know, so Stockport, you're lovely, but get a roof on your away stand at your football ground, please. W- without Stockport, there would have been no lull cream. Indeed. Um, and we'll go with that. What's not to love? Musical history, Stockport, your place is cemented. Absolutely. Indeed. Okay. Um, I've, I came up with a title for the episode, which has then meant that that's what we've got to talk about. Oh, um, right. You know that thing where you, I occasionally think, oh, I've got a good title. And it's, do you know what? It's really simple. It's not actually a clever title. Right. But I just thought, as, it's, as we're sort of around season's end anniversary time, 31 years, I believe, this year. Um. Oh, I'd, I'd maybe go with Seasons Extras. All right, then the tail is going to wag the dog, and that's what yes. you're saying, basically, isn't it? <clears throat> yes. Right. I'm so the, I'm the dog, and I'm going yes. to wag Pre- for you. Prepare to be wagged. Righty ho. Um, so, so I'm going to ask you a few Seasons End <laughs> questions, because we, we've been a bit Seasons Endy, because we did Berlin, and then the hotel story in the Odds and Sodcast was uninvited guests. So we have been, we have been nodding and winking towards mm. Seasons End. So my first season's end question, I've got a few of these, and they're just they're a bit weird ones. Mm. But I didn't realise, and I don't think it was on the original album, I think it was on the first batch when it was first repressed, that there's a credit to the Europeans mm. that goes mm. along with the space. Mm. Um, oh, yes, yes. Well, I did lose my mind a bit when I joined Marillion, and I, and they did a few strange things that that I probably wouldn't do these days, but um, or maybe I would do them. Um, but while we were writing season then, we we were all in this mushroom farm in outside Brighton, and I think I'd just sort of lost myself a bit, and 
I did, did, you know, we were in there writing and I just got so into it that um, there was a song called... Um, in fact, there were two. There were two songs, and and it all caused a lot of. Con- it, we, there was a European song called "Wrap Me in the Flag," um, and of course we never released it. I don't think. I think that there might be a bootlegs of it kicking about. We used to do it live. It was called "Wrap Me in the Flag," and the chorus was "Everybody in the Hall of the World is a Senator." But it was totally different. You know, it wasn't sort of grand and stringy. It was boof cat. That it was it was against a sort of punk rhythm, mm. um, and then after the Euros had split up, and when how we live were nearly splitting up, and we you know we 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 kind of we weren't going anywhere at that point. We the deal with with CBS had gone wrong, and our managers um, were trying to get us another deal and failing, and it was all slowly slowly grinding to a halt. Um, Colin came to me with this uh, tune, with this sort of tune on his Porter studio. And I put this melody and these words on it on top. Um, but again, it was never, it was never released. It was just a, a little demo that had done at home. And and so I used that melody again and and those words, um, you know, on what then became the space. So I'd got two sections of music. Um, I hadn't got. I mean, the the space around the stars. I mean, you know, that was all new, but that the that little bit of verse and the end, the everybody in the whole of the world, have both been sort of used, never released. They were never going to be released. Mm. Um, and so I kind of thought, might as well use them. They're interesting things. And I did the same with the, the verse that covered my eyes. You know, it had been, a, had been another song called Simon's Car that, again, never really went anywhere, never got released, and I thought it was quite a, it was about Simon Templar's Volvo, and it was about um, it, it was about icons and how you love someone more than more than any of the things that you thought were the best thing ever. Um, so I'd got I'd got all these words about Sandy Shaw's toes and uh, Dusty Springfield's eyes, and um, I love you more than um, Mrs. Peel. I love you more than the great Diana Rigg, mm. who's just passed away, of course. I love you more than Simon's car. I love you more than Andy's flowers or Dusty's eyes or Lou's guitar. Um, and it never, you know, that never went anywhere. Uh, but in the end, I, I, I thought I might as well use the verse, the cover my eyes as light shines on her face, was the verse from that song, and I used that cover my eyes. So I'm not above nicking things from myself when I'm desperate. Um. <laughs> Plagiarising myself when the moment arrives. St- stealing my own stuff. Um, unfortunately, um, you, you know, Colin, the guitarist, got very upset by me using that little bit of verse in the space um, because he thought, well, what if Madonna wants to cover the other song? And I'm going, you know, get real, Colin. That ain't going to happen. Um <laughs> But he did actually, you know, 
he was he, he was hanging on to all of those things from our past that that were kind of finished and done with and who can blame him but but i i i sort of lost myself in brighton and started nicking them uh, but I thought I'd every right to nick them because I'd written the words and the tunes mm. in the first place, so they were mine to have, I thought. But, you know, I had, because they were part of songs that had co-written with other people, strictly speaking, they belonged to them as well, even though they'd been my ideas. Um, so that is what happened. I thought it was only decent to credit the Europeans for the end for that last section of the space um because that had been a full-on european song you know mm. again i'd written the words and the tune and i was just using it again elsewhere because i just thought well these these songs are never going to see the light of day anyway no. and it's a shame they're good things so let's you know now i'm in this band with a bit of profile and a fan base let's get stuck in um so then we we didn't end up in court, but we had quite there was quite a battle about you know royalties and how much how much um, Colin particularly felt he should be receiving of, of you know from the space and anyway we 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 had a bit of a falling out and then we eventually you know came to an agreement and that was the end of it. Mm. So you know we're on we're on good terms we you know we're on good terms again. It was just a little negotiation. Well, it, it must have been a moment in time because you mentioned in the diary, I think it was last week, that you met him in in, in New York on the on the holidays tour. Yeah, yeah, we're on really good good terms, you know. I, I mean, I never see him, but he he wishes me a happy birthday once a year, and I wish him happy birthday. Actually, on your birthday or just randomly on it? <laughs> no, on my birthday because <laughs> right. our birthdays were two days apart. Oh, okay. It might have been one day apart, actually, because I was May. I'm May fourteenth, and I think he's May fifteenth. So oh. he always says happy birthday, and the day after I email him back and go happy birthday. Um, but that's about as as much as we communicate. And we all we always say, oh, well, let's get together and have dinner, and well, let's meet up. But we never get around to it. Well, maybe we should get him on the podcast because we've already kind of, you know, we're he working could tell towards you getting a, your sisters on. What a terrible saving bastard I am! Yeah, <laughs> at length. <laughs> After all I've done for him, he I just know, ran off, got famous, and you know, left me in his in his eating his exhaust or whatever people do when they drive off fast. He might think that I wouldn't blame him. Um, I could I could have been a bit more. I could have been a bit nicer. I just lost me lost myself a bit. I think. All right. Okay. But imagine how superior you can be if one year he forgets to to wish you happy birthday, but you remember the next day. Exactly. I think Look I have that. done that one year. Yeah. Me and Dave. Me and Dave Greggs always send each other birthday greetings as well. He he never forgets. He's a lovely man. Yeah. This is turning into the Dave Gregory Appreciation Podcast, actually, because there's him. a lot of love for Dave Gregory. Yeah, well, there should be. There yeah. should be. He's he's a complete gentleman and a brilliant guitarist and not a money-grabbing oik. Not and to imply that anyone else is, just that he isn't. Yes. Not you, Colin. Not no, you, Colin. No, I didn't mean that. But no, no. He, it, it's just how Dave is, you know. Yeah. It's all about the music. Lovely fella. Um, if you can get so, him out of his slippers. 
That's that's always tricky. I remember when we when the H band first considered touring, I phoned him up, you know, and I said, Dave, I'm gonna do a tour, you know. Oh, I don't know about that, Steve. Oh, isn't it cold that time of year? Oh, come on, Dave, come on. You know, you don't want to sit by a fire in fucking Swindon. You know, can we have a tour bus? Come on, live a little. Oh, I don't know. It's a lot of work. And I really, I really had to, had to charm him out of Swindon by degrees. It wasn't simple. No, no, it sounds like you were very charming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do have this, this way of charming people with just a slight kind of edge. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, back, back to season's oh, end. So that's oh, why, yes. that's back why, to season end. Back to season end, and that's why the space gets the credits on it, which I didn't know. So thank you mm, for that. that um, is true. The other thing, because this has always intrigued me, and I, and I stumbled across somebody had posted um, a video of the band doing the release. Um, it looks like it was at one of the uh, Port Zealand uh, affairs. And and it reminded me how much I liked the song. And then I got thinking about B-sides because we had the release and we have the Bell in the Sea as B-sides. And kind of, kind of after, after me was kind of a B-side as well because it didn't actually appear on the LP. Hmm. So it ended up on the CD as a bonus track and I think it ended up on the cassette as a bonus track, but it didn't appear on the CD. And I believe it was the B-side to Hooks in You if memory serves. I might be wrong on that, so I'm sure people will tell me if I, if I am. So so the question then is, um, how do we end up with those three tracks not making the album? Because I like all of them. Mm. Um, it's a really difficult question to answer that. I think sometimes it just it boils down to how much work they were. And if there were hardly... If there was... if if there was hardly any work and if the little time was spent banging them down, there's just this assumption from the word go that there's somehow inferior products. And I, and I think we did the Bell in the Sea in, in you know, in one take on a, on a wet Sunday afternoon down at Hook End mm. while we were recording the rest of the album. So it, it kind of, a, there was suddenly that, oh, shit, we're going to need B-sides. Thing, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, you, you know, I was, have you got any John Elman lyrics kicking about H? And I was looking at, well, I've got this bell in the sea thing about, you know, the the bell ringing under the water and Whitby. Um, well, why don't we try and bang that down? Okay, okay. So into the studio, you know, tune up and, and rather say, well, I've got this idea. You know, and off we went. Um, and, and, put it down and I, and I think that because it 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 came into being and started life like that it was always thought of irrespective of what it might have become once it was mixed and everything it was just thought of as a b-side mm. so it wasn't even considered that perhaps it it might be better than some other song that that had been slated to go on the album um and, you know, what would you have knocked off? You could have maybe knocked Holloway Girl off, but would you knock Holloway Girl off for the Bell in the Sea? I, I, you know, I wouldn't personally, but maybe maybe you would. You know, So it all boils down to how much you like a song. When we did the release, 
Um, you know, again, there was there was some furrowed brows and people staring their nose down their nose at me while I was going. I think this is a hit song. Mm. I actually think this is a hit. It's commercial. You know, it's got a great tune. Mm. Um, but sometimes, you know, um, musicians. You know, it's like, well, there aren't many chord changes. It's like, right, okay then. Well, it can't be very good if there aren't many chord changes. And you think, well, there is the entire history of pop music to to, to negate that argument. <laughs> um, but, you know, the rest of the band thought it was all a little bit straightforward and not prog. Um, and, you know, not enough chord changes and... The end of the day. I mean, you know, you can you can sing you can sing it walking down the street, you can whistle it in a back alley. Mm. Um, but again, I think it just there was always that feeling that oh no, this doesn't make the cut. You know, it's too, it's just too straightforward. It's it's not complicated. There's no calculus involved. Um, <laughs> but but interestingly, what happened was was about. Four months after we'd put that out and it was on the B-side and everything, uh, Pink Floyd released a song and I can't remember what it was, but it went, it did that, you know. It had the pulsing thing and the jang, 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 bang, and I thought, hang on a minute, that's the release. Um, so I don't know if... Mr. Gilmore ripped us off, or whether it was just pure coincidence, you never know. Um, but if you play them side by side, you can't you can't help thinking, hang on a minute, you know. Um, so, and I think they had a kind of, I think that went top five, you know, the, the Floyd thing. Um, and then after me, I don't, I. I, I think After Me was meant to be on the album and then and then when we came to cut the vinyl, we realised it, it'd be too long. Right. So something had got to go. So we had a look at everything that was on there and, and decided um, decided that, that After Me would remain on the album for the CD but wouldn't go on the vinyl. I think that was the... The idea. Yeah. I remember. I remember there was a review in uh, was it Kerrang? But is Kerrang still around, or is that gone? Nah, there? Kerrang's long gone. Oh, I think isn't it? They used to. Review. Do you know what? I don't know. I, don't I think know. it I, might. Have I'm gone. not. Re- I'm not reading it. Sort of came turned into classic rock. I think then eventually, or I don't know. Maybe maybe I've upset everyone at classic rock now by by implying that I don't know what happened. But but one of the popular rock magazines. When they reviewed Season's End, it was probably that bloody... Um... <laughs> no, I won't, I won't name any names because I might, I might need these favours in oh, the future. Oh, oh go oh. on, go on. No, listen, that bloke who couldn't sh- That bloke who couldn't shake a tambourine, whatever his name was. Anyway, um, he, he was the one who called the middle section of the space the overworked guff uh, section. And we called it the overworked guff section ever since. <laughs> um, the bit in the middle that goes, da, 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 that we then put on the front of the song when we did the With Friends arrangement of the space. I said, we should take the overworked guff section, put it on the front. 
So we did. Um, was it John Hotton? Might not have been John. I daren't name it, names because I'll get it, the I'll get the wrong bloke, and then not only will I offend the bloke I meant to offend, but I'll offend the bloke whose fault it wasn't even. It, it is actually John Hotton. Was it? Was or, it or something close to that? Yes, because I read it in uh, an article. I saw that picture recently. So I think, it, yeah, so you're not offending the wrong person. Okay, well, well, he said, he also said, some, this might not have been him either, but somebody said uh, they were they were reviewing the album tracks one at, one at a time and then they got to After Me and they go, bloody, what was it, sugar and spice and all things nice and bloody puppy dogs tails, what the hell's that all about? What are they on about, you know, who puts that on a rock album, somebody said. <laughs> Puppy dogs tails, because <laughs> I'd said there's a stray dog she feeds us. She found in the yeah. street, and you know, and he's he, so he, he he turned that in. <laughs> puppy dogs. Oh God, what's going on about puppy dogs tails now? Not very rock and roll, I think he said, <laughs> which is, is probably true. <laughs> yeah, but that song has a special place in my heart. So you know, I want to, I want to kind of burst out and call that gentleman something that Christine would be offended by. Yeah, um, but I, but I won't do. I know what Craig Leon would call him. He'd call him a torture. That guy's a torture. <laughs> <laughs> I scream genius on that guy, but that guy's a torture. <laughs> so that might have been that might have been John, but it might not have been. <laughs> we don't know. So yeah, uh, puppy, the puppy dog's tail song. That's always remained in my mind ever since. Right. Um, but no, that's that's a song about. That's obviously, well, obviously to me, a song about, you know, people who cannot be tied down, and 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 the fact that, um, you know, if it, 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 quite often what attracts you to someone is is, is their sense of of being a free spirit. The problem then is that you've got to you've got to live with that. Mm. Well, plus those kind of people spend lots of money on rugs <laughs> while you're not looking. While exactly. Not looking. <laughs> or have even thought it might be a possibility. <laughs> oh, <Lord. laughs> so, with one sort of follow-on question, then, because uh, I agree with you about the release, I think the release would have made a fantastic single. Would the release have stood more chance of getting on holidays in Eden? Hmm. Well, I think if if Chris Neal had got onto it um, and gone, do you know what, that's a killer track and we should do it again, um, then it could have quite easily. But uh, I don't know if he didn't, if he wasn't aware of it or, you know, because he certainly kicked the door down one day and, you know, with Dry Land and said, there's this song, Dry Land, that's on the How We Live album and it's a massive... You know, he was convinced it was a huge hit and when Chris Neal tells you a song's a huge hit, you listen because he's had lots of them. Um, and I think that's why the band agreed to to do what was essentially a cover even though I'd, I'd done it with How We Live. Um, and kudos to Colin Warren because he did write that song. You know, I... Uh, the, the way the chords move in the in the chorus and the drang 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 was all was all written by Colin in the first place, um, so uh, that was that was you know that was a that was a fine song. In fact, it was Dry Land that really 
was the reason that How We Live existed because we'd written that together in the sort of dying embers of the Europeans. Mm. And it was obvious to me that that was a really classy tune. And I thought, well, if the two of us are capable of this, then I'd been offered a solo deal with CBS. You know, maybe rather than go and sign it on my own, I should take Colin with me because we mm. can write stuff together. Um, so How We Live might not have existed without that track, mm. weirdly. And then even more weirdly, it ended up on a Marillion album because yeah. Chris was excited about it. Mm. But um, despite his excitement, um, you know, it wasn't a hit. No. But he, but he, but he could have got it because I could, I could hear the release on holidays. I could hear it on both. I'm being honest, but I could hear it on holidays. Hmm. Because uh, it was much more straight ahead and poppy, yeah, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, and and just the way it kicks in, everything it had, every it has everything single about it. Yeah, but, I love to play it live because it's got such immense energy, mm. you know, and and it gives me a chance to go dang 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 <laughs> you know, which uh, I'm always bursting to do. Yeah, no, yeah, I can I can see that you 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 struggle for you know moments to express yourself. So, um, you know, yes, uh, I'm very, I'm very kept down. Yes, indeed. Uh, yes, very managed. <laughs> uh, um, they don't and let got... me do anything, darling. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Right, um, Dave L. David oh. L. Oh, yeah. Who's in New York. Um, I asked a question Door on the. Door, um, I asked you already. Yep. And asked a question uh, on the on the stevehogarth.com uh, website at the guest book about the history of the cricket bat. But as we're talking about all things season's end, mm-hmm. I thought we could quickly cover that in the context of the fact that obviously it wasn't originally a cricket bat; it was a pair of gloves, and there was a real reason for it, wasn't there? But yeah, I mean, the, the the gloves were just a bee I had in my bonnet, which originally I thought would be really cool to have a jacket, which had um, piano keys made out of sort of touch-sensitive material so you could play each of my arms. Um, you know, like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, for, just for those listening in, which is, let's face it, all Everybody. of you, H is playing his arms... <laughs> In a kind of well, in a slightly in a f- sort of fluttery butterfly yeah. meets Toot yeah. and Carmen sort of way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Fingers so are gliding over the keys. That was the idea, and once we got stuck into the practicalities of that, it wasn't going to work um, because it just wasn't. Um, maybe at a stretch, you could get that going now with modern technology. Um, so. In the end, I thought, oh, well, what if, what if the switches were not in the garment of clothes but were actually permanently attached to your fingers in gloves? Uh, that could be cool. And, and so I'd heard about this. Where did I find John? I, f- I found this guy. I think it was, I think, I'd, well, you couldn't Google stuff back then. It was all no. filofaxes. And, you know, long-distance calls. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, I found, I found John Price somewhere. God knows where I found him. Uh, in fact, that if there's anybody out there who knows how I found John Price, you know. <laughs> John hang Mike? On, hang on a minute, that was me. I told you about that. <laughs> One of those. Um, I found John Price, who was this uh, midi... Ah, 
Ah, it might have been because I'd had a mini Moog. Um, I'd had a mini Moog, which I ended up selling to the bloke from the Bee Gees. That's another story. Um, and mini Moogs, you couldn't MIDI them or anything. They weren't, they weren't, it wasn't possible to play them remotely. Uh, but there was this guy who was doing MIDI retrofits to mini Moogs, and that might be how I'd come across John. Um, so I phoned him up and, you know, asked him if it'd be possible. You know, can you transmit MIDI via radio? And he went, no, the frequency's too high, but let me think about it. And then he came back and he said, you can do it by dividing the frequency, transmitting it, and then, then doubling it again at the receiving end. And, oh, oh, that sounds technical. Let's give that a go, you know. Do you need money? And he went, well, yeah. And I went, right, I'll give you some. Let's do it. <laughs> and um, in cut a long story short, John invented the, the – he first invented radio MIDI because it didn't exist. And uh, and then he, he, he invented the gloves, which, you know, which had been my idea, but he, he made it work. And then we went on tour and we did, you know, all the fans will know I did that mad stuff with uh, the gloves and the, the the screen and the, you know, on the uninvited guests. And I used to go and, you know, punch people in the forehead uh, on the front row with them and God knows what. But the problem with the gloves was that they were, they were hot. I was hot. We were all hot in the 80s. Uh, and they were hot, I was hot, and I used to sweat into them and it used to corrode the contacts on the switches and the, the wires would come off and I would pull them as well, you know, flight just generally flailing about and being dramatic. Um, so I'd, I'd, pull, I'd, I'd pull the wires off and then I'd get really cross because they didn't work. And so whoever, whichever member of the road, road crew, whichever poor bastard was responsible for looking after the gloves, um, they used to pray to God every, every night that I'd go off the idea at some point. And I was sort of very sort of gently waved away from the gloves eventually because <laughs> they were so hard to maintain and I used to get so cross when they broke. Um, and then Stuart... Uh, a guy called Stuart Every used to work for us in the studio and he said, well, why don't you take that technology and put it in something rigid that won't break all the time? You know, and, and when I was a kid, me and John Leedale in intake in Doncaster, we used to pretend to be John Lennon and Paul McCartney and play the, play the tennis rackets, you know, and do the leg movements, do the John Lennon legs apart squatty thing. Um and so I thought, well, there's nowhere to put switches in a tennis racket, but but what about a cricket bat? So Stuart Every went off to a sports shop, bought a cricket bat, and hollowed it out with chisels and God knows what, and and and, and built me the first MIDI cricket bat. And we took out the insides of the decoding gubbins that, that I used to wear on on my on my back when I wore the gloves we we opened the box and took the printed circuit boards out and put them inside the the cricket bat and it was the same technology but then it was a cricket bat and and it tended to last a bit longer um unfortunately you provided me with a weapon <laughs> Which occasionally made other members of the band nervous. 
Um, <laughs> but I, over the years, I've controlled myself. I've never wrapped it around anybody's head, and God knows I've, it's crossed my mind. Um, <laughs> so that was how the cricket bat happened. Is, is that a good answer? That's a, do you know what? It's great because it's it talks a little to season's end, but it answers Dave's question. I'm sure Dave will be over the moon with that. Um, you know, I think. Do you know what? We've been quite proficient this morning. I've oh. asked questions. You've answered them. Huh. I always associate the word proficient with bicycles. Bicycles. Yeah. Whenever yeah. anyone says proficient, I just get bicycles. Yeah, uh, riding uh, riding around the playground at school. Pri- yes, a private road, and and uh, yes, the, the Did cycling you get proficiency test. Yes, Did, I got mine. Did you? I got yeah. mine as well. Do you remember the Do you remember the Tufty Club? I do remember the Tufty Club. Tufty was a uh, squirrel, wasn't he? Yes, he was. It was road safety, wasn't it? Was that road safety? Yeah, that was. What road was safety. the one about cleaning your teeth? There was another one about cleaning. Oh, your I don't teeth. know what I don't know what cleaning teeth was. Tufty oh. was road safety. That oh. was before we decided that we'd 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 a six a six foot six guy from Bristol would be a better uh, idea. And before we went Green Cross Code Man, it was Tufty, wasn't it? He became Darth Vader. Didn't well, he, he was Darth Vader. That bloke, yeah, yeah. The have green, you ever seen any the of the footage? Giant. Yeah. Well, have you ever seen any of the footage God, for when they got the recordings? Because be, be. he used to say the lines. <laughs> he used to say the Darth Vader lines in this thick Bristol accent. Oh, right. It's hilarious. If you've, if you've never seen the bits of footage. <laughs> Cool, the listeners must be riveted to this conversation. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But we're, we're, we're enjoying ourselves. <laughs> oh, um, a, yes, there's a lot of talent in wheezing. I could have probably been Darth Vader, apart from my diminutive stature, obviously. I could have done the wheezing. I would probably just stick a cat in the suit with me and I'd have been away. <laughs> which, which could take us back to a season's end story, couldn't it? I think he's dying. Take the cat out of the suit. We've left it in too long. Uh, <laughs> what about H? <laughs> oh, he's, he's dying as well. <laughs> the cat is allergic oh. to singers. Quick, get it out. <laughs> no, not every singer. Oh, right. Anyway, we probably ought to we probably ought to move to a bit of diary um, before we do ten minutes of absolute nonsense. Um, so uh, we're in uh, we're still in the US, um, and uh, I, w- I was reading it actually earlier this morning, and I've completely forgotten where you where you ended up. Though um, I think Chicago, uh, there's a bit of Chicago. I think there's a bit of, a bit of Detroit in there. Um, so, so I think we we're going to carry on with a bit of uh, a, a bit of the holidays. Oh, it's a bit of Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Somebody usually got shot in an alley next to the Detroit shows. Whenever you did Detroit, you'd you'd find out in the morning someone had been shot while you were on stage. And then the good old Park West in Chicago. That was always a good one. In fact, it was we were about to go on stage in the Park West some years later. When I, when I got a phone call from the International Space Station um, and it was Andre Kuypers and I passed the, passed the mobile phone round the band and said, anybody want to talk to space before we go on? <laughs> we were all having a little natter with him. Yeah, yeah that was all the right. part, West. Okay. What a well, life. Well, there we are. Well, we might ask you about that afterwards. <laughs> yes. Or I might ask you about getting your roots done. Who knows? Um... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, pray silence. Uh, and without much <coughs> further ado, Ron, uh, for the diary. 
Friday the 3rd of April, Detroit, the Ritz. Arrived at the hotel around 11am and checked in. Showered and went down to the breakfast room. After a quick breakfast, Pete, Steve, Mark, Ray and I set off to find the Magic Bag Theatre in downtown Detroit. It could have been uptown, I don't know how to tell the difference. This was to be a live acoustic thing without keyboards. When we finally arrived after getting lost, we discovered that there were two other bands on as well. Quickly sound-checked in front of 30 people who were the audience. Chaos on stage, monitors muted for the first half of the first song, etc. Someone said it sounded good on air, though. We were then taken to a shop to sign stuff. All a bit of a waste of time, really. The shop didn't have any of our CDs in stock. Came back to the hotel and went to bed. Gig sound check was a pleasant surprise, but by showtime my spirits plunged as my sound had become inexplicably thin and dry. Previous vows never to play this place again were remembered and re-avowed as the power went off twice during the show. I only just kept my temper, and the audience, bless them, was supportive and happy with the show. Afterwards, we learned that the truck had been broken into while we were on stage and all the carnets and documents stolen. I later learned someone had been shot in the car park the night before. Good grief, get me out of here. Saturday, 4th of April, Chicago. Park West. Arrived around 11 and checked into the Allerton Hotel. Went to bed, got up around 1.30 and went shopping for shirts. Got back to leave at 3 for a signing at the Music Warehouse. Good fun. Straight to soundcheck at the Park West where a tired and emotional priv was wrestling with a mains hum on one side of the PA. Sound on stage was different but good. This was to be an early show, 8.30, so I had time for a quick bath before returning to catch John Wesley's set at 7.30. He was good. We hit the stage at 8.40 to a sell-out enthusiastic crowd. I really enjoyed the show. I was singing well despite this being the fourth show in a row once again. The encores were a bit fast, which was a shame. Ian gets a bit carried away when he's enjoying himself and the tempos inevitably slide up into an area where I can no longer fit the words in. Try singing in communicado at double speed. I don't want to be the back page interview, I don't want laundrette anonymity. Try saying laundrette anonymity at twice the speed. Murder. Afterwards, Priv declared that the PA sucked, literally. Maybe it was out of phase. Fortunately, we came good on a crucial evening. There were quite a lot of influential business folk in the crowd. Sunday, 5th of April. Grand Rapids, day off. 
pulled into Grand Rapids, Michigan around nine and checked into the Holiday Inn opposite the club Eastbrook, tomorrow's venue. Went to bed and rose around 11.30 for breakfast and a walk in the mile opposite. Sunday trading is okay here, unlike England, and all the shops are open. Bought little Reebok trainers for Nile and found a hairdresser's, so I had my roots done. Back at the hotel, Judy from IRS made a present of Halston Z14 cologne, which she said she's had for years and didn't need. Cheers, Judy. We all left the hotel at two. Pete, Steve, me, Priv, Leo and Judy. To go to Vinyl Solution Record Shop to play an acoustic set there. Not sure about that name. We found 300 plus people waiting for us when we arrived. Quite a vibe. The set was broadcast live on air, WLAV-FM, and was very well received by the audience. Afterwards, the rest of the band and crew showed up and we signed everybody's records, T-shirts, etc., while the crew drank the free beer and ate the deli tray. We were later given a pick of three CDs for free. Cool, thanks. I remember picking up a copy of Sting's Nothing Like the Sun, which I've enjoyed for years since. Great album. In the evening, we were invited out to dinner with Aris Hampers, the DJ who had done so much to make us popular in these parts, and afterwards he invited us all to his house for drinks. He took us into the basement to show off an enormous TV and surround sound system. It looked and sounded like the Odeon Leicester Square. I was waiting for the organist to come up out of the floor when I noticed a record and CD collection to rival most record stores. I guess he gets them all given. He really does have everything I could imagine from A to Z. I booked time on our next visit to watch Apocalypse Now down here. Monday, 6th of April. Grand Rapids, Club Eastbrook. Not the Orbit Rooms. You cabbage. Had a lie-in and rose around 12. At 2 we found out that we'd agreed to play a couple of songs live on air for Aris. So there was a slight panic while we ran to the Club Eastbrook for acoustic guitars. Everything went okay though and Aris seemed happy. As I said, Aris is the DJ single-handedly responsible for our success in this area of Michigan. He's a self-confessed fan of our sound and has crusaded to popularise it. If only there were more DJs out there of a like mind. Still, we can't complain, can we? We're doing all right. After the interview, we went over to another record store to sign yet more records and T-shirts. I thought we'd already signed everything in Grand Rapids yesterday. They must have been shopping overnight. The band went off to soundcheck while I had a wander round the mall again, looking for Reeboks for Fifi. Couldn't find any, but found Z14 Talc in JC Penney's. Impossible to get hold of in the UK. Soundcheck was iffy. I think it's the hall. Back at the hotel, I called the IRS rep in Atlanta to say hi and apologise for not putting in a show there. Had a float in the pool, a quick shower, and then back to the gig. We were introduced by Aris and Steve. They were representing rival radio stations, both sponsoring the show. I dedicated Easter to Aris, as he told me it's a favourite. 
The audience were quiet to start with, but riveted. It's amazing what a little airplay does for a band. By the end of the show, the crowd were up out of their seats. Somehow, though, I couldn't quite settle down with it, which is a shame. Thanks to Aris, this feels like the US town where we're currently loved most. And, of course, the feeling's mutual. We played additional encores, and this took the show up to 2 hours and 15 minutes, 20 minutes longer than usual. Tuesday the 7th of April, Bloomington, Indiana Jakes. Staggered off the bus to warm sunlight and the smell of mown lawns. Wow, that's better. Checked in and panicked as I realised I didn't have my credit cards. Took a cab to the club to see if I'd left them on the bus. I had. Phew. Walked round the corner to find a florist. After chatting in the sun to Alan Parker and Priv, who were kicking a football around in the car park. I ordered flowers for Sophie. It's her birthday on the 13th. From Beata. An, quote, old German Jewess, her words, who was very sweet. Next door was a vintage watch specialist and I spent half an hour coming dangerously close to blowing a large amount of money. Didn't, though. Went back to the hotel and snoozed outside on the lawn under a tree. The club was small, the monitors horrid and the attendance sparse at around 150. I guess this one's a filler. Not a big college town, etc. Wednesday, 8th of April, Cincinnati, Bogarts. Now that's more like it. Sunshine and warm welcome at the Vernon Manor Hotel, from the weather at least. Best hotel of the tour so far. According to the guest book, the Beatles stayed here. No one seemed to know which room. Maybe I was in it. Spent most of the day in bed with the windows open, snoozing and feeling heavenly, as there were no interviews scheduled. Once again, the monitor sound at the show was not great. Poor old Grubby. He's really got his work cut out with these house monitor systems, which are usually ill-maintained and abused, if not totally knackered. I really enjoyed myself, however, and managed to pull off a great crowd reaction. Climbed the PA for the first time in quite a while. Ian keeps going on about Yasser Arafat, who apparently went missing and turned up again in the desert. The sole survivor of a plane crash. No wonder they call him the cat with seven souls. Spoke to Andy King, our house buyer, who says he'll instruct his solicitor to exchange contracts today. I believe it when I see it. It's murder trying to buy a house from the other side of the Atlantic. It looks like Wes, our guitar tech from Florida, is going to get me a Rickenbacker flown to Boulder, Colorado. Thursday, 9th of April. St. Louis, Mississippi Nights. Arrived at the Embassy Suites Hotel, which for once was opposite the club. Nice hotel, but the staff was somewhat, er, slow. The bad news started arriving as soon as we did. House trouble. Charlton says that they can't move on the first. I don't believe it. More heated, long-distance, expensive phone calls. The club was small, but seemed to be on the circuit and not a bad place. 
The show was fairly sparsely attended, but my on-stage sound was good and the vibe in the room was great. I can't remember enjoying a show quite so much in a long time, maybe since you trekked. Dee McLaughlin, our tour manager from the last tour, showed up. His girlfriend lives in St. Louis. Today is Mad Jack's birthday and Ray brought him a cake before the second encore, which was garden party. After the show, we nipped to a club called Kennedy's to see a flower band. Went back to the hotel with a daisy, checked out and boarded the bus for the long journey to Boulder, Colorado. Clap one, two, three. <laughs> oh, oh, now that now my end that sounded close, so your end it probably sounded about five seconds apart. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any danger of us replacing Sly and Robbie, put it no. that way. No, no, though I'm blaming, I'm blaming Zoom, I'm not blaming me because at my end it always sounds perfect. Oh, okay, uh, and that's the story, and I'm sticking with it. Press that, press that. And we're back. And every, every time I say that, H smiles. He does this kind of cheesy beam. I don't quite know why. I love uh, it. And we're back. It's, it's why I get up in the morning. <laughs> and, and, and it always gives me opportunity to see whether you put your tooth in or not. I've lost uh, it. Have you lost it? <laughs> It's not a tour bus, is it? I can't find it anywhere. I don't know what I've done with it. I've been looking for it for two days. All oh, right, okay. I can tell you. I can tell you, it's not in your mouth. Um, <laughs> swallowed it. <laughs> uh, oh, that reminds yeah. me of a bloke called Les Musgrave, who um, he he was a friend of my mum and dad's, and he used. To, I think he used to work with my dad or something. Les and Irene, they were, and they used to come to our house when I was a kid. Um, and uh, he had, he had, I think he'd had all his teeth kicked out playing rugby and he had four front teeth on a pallet that he used to wear and he went out one night and got really, really drunk and was and threw up in the toilet and he threw, he, he, threw, he vomited his front teeth into the toilet and flushed it before he realised they they'd gone. And then uh, this is a true story, and the following, and and, and so he found he found the sewage station uh, to see if they'd got him. <laughs> the guy at the sewage station, this in Doncaster, said, "Well, when did you throw? When did they go down the toilet?" And he went last night, and he said, "Oh, they won't be here for another day and a half yet," because um, he this man knew the speed of sewage, <laughs> and he did he did a calculation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and in the end, he got them back, and he wa- he wa- washed them under the tap and put them back in. <laughs> True story. So, when, so when, whenever I think of dentures, I think of Les Musgrave. Oh dear! <laughs> the speed of sewage. <laughs> Oh, that's got to be a thing. <laughs> Pass me my slide rule. <laughs> I need to do a quick calculation. Yes. Yes. 
<laughs> They're just going past Attercliffe Crescent. They're at least a day away. <laughs> That's that old joke, isn't it? Did you hear about the mathematician who got constipated? No. What happened? He worked it out with a slider. <laughs> yeah, that is that old joke. Oh, it's oh, nearly as bad as my dog's got no nose. Um, so you can't tell that joke to the kids. It's all calculators now. Yes, yes. Probably wouldn't be as effective. Um, <laughs> they're on the phones anyway. Um, right, right, thanks. It's all Tamagotchis now, isn't it? <laughs> oh, bloody hell. <laughs> he said. Oh. <laughs> pushing, oh well, thanks. The, pushing the envelope. In twenty twenty. Thanks for that little that little aside from 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 Les. Les and Irene was it? Les and Irene. See, when I was growing up, everybody had an uncle Les and an auntie Irene. I think. Yeah, yeah. Probably yeah, all the same one. You don't get a lot of Irenes about anymore. Do you, you don't. You don't. No, you don't. Anyway, we'll we'll st- let's let's start this little section again, and we're back. Oh. Uh, <laughs> What are we doing it again? That was gold. You know no, no, I'm leaving it, it in. I'm, I'm oh, leaving. Right. I'm just, I just thought we'd recenter. Oh, we'd, right. okay. We'd recalibrate. <clears throat> <clears throat> hmm. uh, so, so that was the diary section, um, and um, and we need to talk about this DJ, this this DJ mm-hmm. that was just big in the band up. Yes, Aris, Aris Hampers. Aris is a hell of a name for a kicker, isn't it? That's a great yeah. name. No, no bullying in his early formative years. It probably didn't mean anything in America, you know. I don't know. If, I don't have Aris as a word in America. No. no. Oh, mind your Aris. Um, Compared and, with being called Troy, yeah, tr- you're yeah. probably fine. Tr- Troy. Um, so yeah, Aris Hampers had was a, a famous DJ in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. And for what he he looked, he was an absolute ringer for James Coburn from the you know the Magnificent Seven and all of that. I mean, you looked at him, you just thought, holy shit, James Coburn. Mm. Um, and he which had actually is weird because oh. you said our man Flint the other day, did I? On one of the podcasts, and wasn't that James Coburn? Yeah, you might have dreamt that. Sure, I didn't. I'm sure yeah. you said. Did I throw our man Flint? Our Flint, that might yeah. Have. That might have been James Coburn, actually, yeah. Well, I'll check it out while you carry on about your Aris. Yeah. Well, he was, um, he had a deep voice. Aris Hampers here. Um, Really, really nice person. And uh, a fan of the band. And so he'd made us so famous in Grand Rapids, Michigan. In fact, I've got a friend. I've now got a friend, all these years later, called Janet Anderson who's um, married to or living with um, Trevor Horn, Trevor, Trevor, Trevor Horn's wife. Um, and she's from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and she, she always claims that she came to, I think she came to that show on Season's End when she still lived there. Right. And because Aris was always playing our music, people got to hear it, and whenever we played Grand Rapids, it was a real event. And, of course, Grand Rapids being a sort of, no offence, but middle of nowhere sort of town. Uh, we never would have played there had it not been for Aris. We'd have just done Chicago and Boston and New York, mm. and we'd have done the big, the big cities. 
Um, but because we were so famous in Grand Rapids, we always used to go and play there. There was a club called the Orbit Rooms, I think it was called, the Orbit Rooms. And on this occasion, Aris had been, did we Did we go to his place? Or you like? did, you yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, I thought we'd gone. He was another one of these guys, because there was another guy I was talking about earlier on in the diary, I think he was a DJ as well, and they all... You know, they'd take you back to their houses and show you their, oh, I've got this room, and you go, okay, and you go, and it'd be just like, it'd be bigger than most youth clubs that I'd been to as a child, you know. And it'd be like a youth club, and they'd have pool tables and pinball machines and a bloody great big hi-fi and a big home cinema. and That's how they used to live, you know, they'd have this massive man cave full of, full of toys and tech. Um and you'd go and shoot some pool and play a record really loud and open a couple of buds. Um, and um, and then you'd clear off back to wherever you were. But but Aris had one of those big man caves as well. And he was a lovely bloke. Yeah. And there were no nobody took the piss out of him for being called Aris. Mm. Good, good. I think justice then, really. Yes. Um, also, you... you played Chicago, uh, and I've got a lot of time for Chicago. I think it's a really great city, but how do you get on with Chicago? Very well, very well. I think I, pref- I think it was my favourite city in America until I went to Portland, Oregon, and I loved Portland. I loved the vibration of it and the fact that it was a little bit hippie and very clean and the air's amazing. And um, There's an area of Portland that's almost like Covent Garden, you know, it's it's just really lovely. Um but Chicago we we'd spent quite a lot of time there and we played the Park West. Ever since I joined the band we played the Park West. And we still play the Park West if we go, which shows what a rapid ascent to megastardom we've we we have achieved in America over the years. Um <laughs> <laughs> probably got probably got photographs of the dressing rooms in Park West, you know, and oh, I see they refurbished room three. Uh, but um, it's always a good one. Oh man! Oh, and then there was the time we did the Park West once, and all of the bar staff, all the bar girls, were, were celebrating because one of the guys behind the bar was leaving. This is a true story. God, should I go public with it anyway? He was le- he was leaving, and and we'd done a show there, and they said, uh, you know, I was on the way out the door, and they said, hey, you know, we're going to party. Do you want to come? I thought, mm, go back to your hotel, stare at four walls, or go to a party with all of these bar girls and boys. What should I do? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Quiet night, isn't it? <laughs> Count me in, cats. So. I I went with them and oh it was a mistake and we ended up in the front of a pickup truck so I'm jammed in between all of these kids in this you know in 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 this pickup truck going to a party uh you know and they're not the best drivers on earth and and I'm thinking oh is this safe is this is this responsible can I remember the address of my hotel <laughs> and then they said oh we're gonna go and pick up whoever some guy you know was called i don't know he had a sort of slightly i don't know what his name was but they, they said we're gonna go and pick up and okay and off we went 
and we went to this bloke's house and he was a sculptor. Um, and he was in real artsy, eccentric mm. kind of guy. He was just sort of wearing a sheet when we got there. And his entire place was just covered in dust uh, and, you know, plaster of Paris mm. dust because he, he was sculpting in plaster of Paris and cement and God knows what. And you went into his house and just thought, oh, my God, look at this place. You know, it looked like a factory. And it was full of cats. He'd got loads of cats and I'm allergic. So I'm in this room. I don't know where we are by this this time, of course, because we've driven out of Chicago into the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and, oh, and it's snowing. So so I'm in this sculptor's house and this man in rah, the beard and a sheet that they've come to pick up and trying to trying to pick my way on tiptoe around around the plaster of Paris, dust avoiding the cats. And and so they pick him up and we all pile back into this pickup truck and then they drove and drove and drove out into the middle of nowhere to this bar. And they all went in this bar and I went in the bar and I went, yahoo, yahoo. And they all got talking and the next thing I knew, I was just on my own. And everybody disappeared at oh. a different little places because they didn't really know me, you know, I just tagged along. So then I'm at this bar and, you, you know, and one minute they're all playing pool and the next minute I turn around, they all kind of seem to have vanished. <laughs> <laughs> and I go outside and it's freezing and there's about six inches of snow in the street. And I'm thinking, what have I done? What am I doing here? It's about 3 a.m. <laughs> I thought, how the hell am I going to get back to my hotel? So I go back in the bar and I say, you know, can I get a taxi? Oh, it'll take at least an hour for a taxi. Do you mind? In this weather, it might not come at all. You think, oh, my God. Anyway, that was a lesson learned. It took, took me about another two hours to get back to the hotel, um, you know. Like, who's that Who's that guy with the black hair, you know, <laughs> huddled over hotel reception? <laughs> Thanking God and praying. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> oh, dear. that was a was, lesson learned. Was that recent? Or just don't, just don't let people. You know, hey, we're good. Do you want to come? You go, yeah, yes. sure. Woof, in a disaster. Uh, um, yeah. That was the Chicago. In fact, it was also the Chicago Park West. More recently than that. Um, where, where we were about to go on stage and my mobile rang and it was the International Space Station. Uh, and it was Andre Kuypers, the Dutch astronaut, who'd been on the space station for months at this point. Like, hey, hi, Steve, how are you doing? Like, Who's this? Andre Kuypers, yeah, I'm following you from the International Space Station. Like, no shit. No, no, I really am. Fucking Nora. <laughs> Boys, I've got space on the phone. Does anybody want to talk to it? And I was passing, I was passing the phone around the board, and we were about the, the intro music's playing in the distance. You know, we're all on the phone to space. Well, bugger the punters, this is important. Um, so that was in Park West as well. We've had some really good nights. It's always, it's always a good, good vibration. But yeah, I love Chicago. I love, I love. I've got lots of good memories about. I bought a very nice pen in Chicago. I often have my roots done in Chicago. And, I, I think uh, you might have mentioned that in the diary. <laughs> when when I read through this the week, food's very good as well. Good food in Chicago. 
Oh, the food's mm. the food's very good in Chicago. Mm. Um, not you know, lots of gangsters apparently, but I've never met any. Not, not uh, in Chicago. No, no, I've I've never no. I've been to the baseball in Chicago. I've had a real long walks and wanders around. I've never. I've never Do you know? Found I think I've been to the baseball in Chicago. It's the only time I've ever seen live baseball, and it was that guy Billy Bonds. He was a really big star and he got put away for taking drugs in the end. But he was there and he was playing the night I saw them and he, he did whack one out of the park. And you think, you know, you just think, oh, it's just it's just round, isn't it? Un- <laughs> until you actually go, it's you know. Just, it's just round. <laughs> and then you go and you go... No, it's not rounders, is it? No, it's no. much bigger. It's just rounders. And they're three sports. It's rounders, it's netball, <laughs> and it's rugby, rugby for people who can't run a lot. Exactly. That's, that's rugby for people who shouldn't be wearing padding. <laughs> yes, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Namby, pamby. Exactly. Yeah. None, none of that goes on round <laughs> Pontefract, I tell you. We don't have any American listeners, do we, Ant? Not anymore. Uh, no, we're in trouble, aren't we? No, we're fine. Right. We're fine, you know. Um, but you got yeah. to forgive us, cats. We, you know, we're country folk. We're English country folk. We're not very, we're not very sophisticated. So was that was that? If you saw the baseball in Chicago, was that the influence for? And I'm trying to remember the name yes. of the song. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah, truth's always stranger than fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I, I took a lot of that night in watching the baseball. Because that was, you know, the crowd seemed to gave a roar for no reason at all or yeah. something, whatever I think. But um, the the major league rules get me so get confused. Get me so confused. I didn't understand what was going on. I sat I, I sat there watching this baseball game uh, and every now and again everybody went wild mm. for no reason. I kept going, what happened? You know, nothing, you know, like with football, somebody scores a goal and everybody goes wild. But with baseball, somebody does nothing and everyone goes mental. And I'm sure it's of great significance, but unless you're really into it, you don't know what what, what happened then. Nothing at all happened and you've all gone barmy. But I I think it's to do with, well, it's to do with the rules. Yeah, which we don't understand. (laughs) Which I didn't understand. I've, I've, it's taken me a lot of years, but I've just about got baseball now, but it took me a lot of years. He whacked it out of the park and that was impressive. Because it went a really long way, but that's the, that's the problem with baseball. It's four hours for five minutes worth of something. Could have been San Francisco, actually. Now I'm thinking maybe it wasn't right. Chicago. It might have been San Fran, right? But anyway, I well, have we been could, once. We, we can talk about it again when we get to that section of the diary. See Billy Bonds. Right. Well, do you know what? I think we're probably about there for 24, aren't we? Um, looking at looking at. Well, I'm just looking at how much we've recorded. There'll be people got, sleeping I've at this got point. Two more good hotels I want to mention uh, from oh, last you? week. Well, just briefly, I forgot. Oh, go on. I completely go on. forgot. There was a hotel in Mallorca called Cast Chalk, and I'm going to spell it. It's C apostrophe A S, which I think is the sort of abbreviated of casa or like house. Yeah. And chalk, but spelt with an X. X O R C, and I think it's pronounced chalk, Cast Chalk, and that was a very nice hotel and I commend it to the listeners. Okay. Um, there is, of course, the the other one in Mallorca is the La Residencia, which Virgin used to own, but I, I think it's owned now by um, Belmont, the Belmond Group. And we didn't stay, insanely expensive, 
um, and I've never stayed there, but Lynetta and I went there for a drink and we went to the bar. And at the next time, we, we, we sat down on the terrace uh, with a couple of drinks and David Frost, the David Frost... The David Frost? ...came and sat down with Andrew Lloyd Webber at the next table That's... and having a little chat. I'm thinking, oh, well, those two doing here. It's a bit cosy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, and uh, I said to Lynetta, you know, if I was to go over there and, and punch him out, I would do my reputation the world of good. <laughs> you know, because that would make front-page news. Yeah. Rock singer punches Andrew Lloyd Webber in face and gets yeah. arrested and yeah. thrown in jail. You know, um, uh, um, that would make me famous. At a, you know, yeah. at a stroke, if, if if I was really that ambitious, I'd go and do it because, you know, I, I mean, I'd have to say sorry afterwards quietly in his ear. I'm really sorry. <laughs> not personal. It's a career move. It's yeah. a career move, Andrew. It's not personal. <laughs> and which, said, which one of his shows would you scream when you did it? Yeah, that, <laughs> that's for which, which one of the ones would you pick? That's for cats, or <laughs> yeah, you know, probably. That's for the, yeah. Or, or whistle down the wind, or whatever it was. In the yeah, I could sing the end of poof. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, sunshine. <laughs> I'll have your teeth returned to you in the morning. <laughs> yes. Well, she won't be tomorrow. It'll take at least two days for them to go through the sewage system. <laughs> So there was that. And, and last of all, I've got to mention Le, Le Manoir Cats. They say, oh, where, where my daughter works. She, she's, she's head florist at Le Manoir, which is a, this amazing hotel restaurant owned and run by uh, Raymond Blanc mm. in the Oxfordshire countryside. And that is a very, very nice hotel. And there's usually, you know, whoever, there's usually famous actors and famous politicians grooving about and coming and going in helicopters there and it's you know a couple of grand a night for a room but Lynette, and I've stayed there because Lynette and I got an amazing deal because Sophie works there <laughs> and the food's fantastic as well yeah. I well, can yeah. recommend the food if you've got 500 quid to spend on lunch right. but it's okay. not a waste it's worth right. saving up for right. um, so yes that that probably completes my list of lovely hotel experiences. You, you've certainly had all the crap ones as well. Yeah, we certainly have had the crap ones, <laughs> uh, particularly if you're a purple. And, in fact, in about an hour's time, you'll be getting those final two stories when that goes live. <laughs> right. Um, we're, we're done on 24 then. Right. Um, um, and, and the hotels in. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. It was nice to have a few seasons end stories. It was great. Yeah. Uh, and I think we should push for the release to be released. Let's let's have it as a, a single 30 years after its time. Yeah, why not? Why not? That could work. Get that up the charts. Yeah. yeah. Mention it to Lucy next time you see her. I will, for all yeah. the good it'll do. <laughs> well, in which case then, suggest 47 <laughs> chord changes and the band will mention it as an idea. That's it. They'll go, it's a smash. 47 it's a smash. chord changes. It's a- and it's brilliant because it's only taken us 30 years to get this far, so it's it's matured just long enough. <laughs> we'll put it out a nice 17-minute smash. <laughs> just think in 20 years' time there'll be people shouting for the release from the back of the room. 
And I'll be one of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, yes, because Adam Lambert will be singing. That's right. Um, <laughs> right. Thanks, everybody. Um, it's it's been a it's been a joy as as normal. And twenty five, twenty five next I'll be week. At the back, and they've gone right on to one since I used to sing for them. Oh, it's, it's not the same as it was, darling. <laughs> oh, dear. I you never could... should have hit them with a cricket bat. That was the problem. <laughs> At the rate you're going, you're going to be the guy that filled in in between Fish and Adam Lambert. <laughs> oh, um, it's twenty-five next week. Do you realise that? Place. Um, it's what he. It's what? Be 20, twenty-five next week. Wow, quarter of a century of of Corona diary. Of Corona diary. Yeah. Just think of the pleasure we've given people, Ant. This, this, <laughs> these. Well, these things run. These things run about ten percent over an hour, don't they? Or fifteen percent over an hour. So there's there's nearly thirty hours worth of this. What did you call the space? <laughs> I don't know. Overworked guff. There's <laughs> nearly 30 hours of this overworked guff <laughs> floating around now. It's another T-shirt. <laughs> it is. It is. Oh, we're running, running out 30 of hours of TCD. 30 hours of overworked guff. <laughs> oh, actually, that reminds me. Actually, I wrote this down and I should have mentioned it. Somebody... Um, hang on, where did I write it? Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Andy Whittle from Wellington. Ah, the Andy. The Whittle. Andy Whittle from Wellington. Just listening to the podcast when uh, where the, he was listening to the episode when neither of us could remember where we were up to in the diary, and he suggests surely a purple bookmark is a great idea for merch. Oh, I saw that message. That's not a bad idea, is it? It's a really good idea. Yeah. Andy. Could be, a, could be a cool thing, that. Just a little something. Wouldn't little we wouldn't something. have to charge a lot for it. No, and no. it would be a nice thing. Yes, yes, literally a couple of quid and then £47 to have it sent to New Zealand. It'd be absolutely <laughs> fine. How can it possibly go wrong? Um, but also, Andy, you asked a serious question as well. No, that wasn't serious. And I'm going to put your question in this month's Q&A. So that'll be next month's Q&A. So in the October Q&A, Andy, your other question, which I'm not going to allude to now, will be asked. Mm. There we have it. We're leaving them with a little bit of mystery. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. See, you know, proficiency. That's what it is. Podcast proficiency badge. Play a suitable chord now. Can you play a chord? A a mystery chord. Could you hear hear that? I did hear that. (laughs) We better go. That's a hint of mystery, isn't it? Bye, Steve. <laughs> go easy, cats. And if you're driving home tonight, drive home mysteriously. I have a run out of tunes for the Chromecast. At least all the ones I can play I have run out of tunes for the Chromecast Can't play this either But thank you, Anna Bachman it's good to be purple, you know Not forgetting Chrissy Beach <laughs>
and Danny DeMange, you know. I've also got Jochen, who never gave me a second name, and Paul Brown, who's just Paul Brown. Thank you, Paul, for being easy to sing. And another bloke, or maybe a woman who calls themselves whoever you are. What a strange name. I see what you're doing here. What you're really after is thank you, whoever you are. <laughs> for be for being <laughs> purple I shouldn't have gone here should have let and I've had a reminder let me look for it I've had a seems to think he wasn't crowned before, but I thought he was. Sorry, this was such a crap croncast. I'll try to do better next time. If you haven't heard your name on the Croncast, please send me a dirty message. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>